You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Building the Buckeyes. I'm your host, Andrew Lynn, and I'm joined this week by my good friend, Jeremy Birmingham, who is the director of recruiting at Letterman Row. How's it going, Berm? Going well, man. How was things for you? You know how it is, you know, with the season and all that kind of stuff, busy as ever. Yeah, it's uh, the best and worst time of the year for sure. And, uh, you know, right now, obviously, for recruiting-wise and building the Buckeyes, as you said, it's, uh, I guess this is like permit-seeking time because you're getting out there, you're making calls, and for the Ohio State coaches, it's like, are we allowed here? Are we allowed to, to build this? And that's that's where it gets really fun. Definitely. So I'm just going to jump right in and mention how Ohio State recently landed a commitment from 2023 Huber Heights Wayne offensive lineman Josh Padilla, which is obviously a big start. Um, they obviously already had uh, Ty Lockwood in that class, but to get an in-state kid as one of your first commitments is obviously a big thing. So what would you say that the Buckeyes are getting in Padilla? Well, you know, first and foremost, they're getting a good offensive lineman, and, and that's something you need in, in every recruiting class. The Buckeyes are going to probably be looking at five or six offensive linemen in the class of 2023, which I think uh, is, is a really important rebuilding year uh, for Greg Stutuara in that position group. And, and as you said, the ability to start a class with a kid that is local makes a big difference. Uh, Ohio State's been among the better schools in the country when it comes to peer-to-peer -peer recruiting and the relationships that are being built. We saw it in the class of 2022 with C.J. Hicks and with his impact. We saw it in the class of 2021 with Jack Sawyer and his. And certainly, you know, Josh Padilla as an interior lineman is not quite as sexy, I guess, as, as five-star linebacker or five-star defensive end. But when you visit Ohio State from anywhere in the country, you're going to be comfortable knowing that a player that that's already committed there and someone you get along with is there on the visit with you. And that's that's the real value of that. And Josh is a kid that is, is not going to be a uber like vocal peer-to-peer uh, -peer recruiter, but he will be around. And that is really what it's about. It's about building those relationships early. You obviously hinted on it with C.J. Hicks last year. Do you think that, that Padilla has that ability to kind of be that peer-to-peer -peer recruiter despite the position challenge? I mean, I don't know that he has the ability to be that sort of uh, a lure for people just based on the fact that, again, he's a guard, maybe a center, you know, and, and that is not really one of those like Pied Piper positions. But he's a really solid kid, and he underscores what Ohio State's program is all about, which is, you know, great people who are really good football players. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that as parents around the country bring their kids to Columbus, they're going to see that. And that matters. Uh, and, and, you know, as the Buckeyes continue to build out their class, we've noticed it more under Ryan Day than we did under Urban Meyer. But there is a, a concerted effort 
to start the class from inside of Ohio and then build out. And, you know, I think the, the real thing with Padilla committing early is that it does kind of help open the door a little bit for guys like Luke Montal, for out of Lakota East. Uh, and of course the big one is Sonny Styles, who, you know, if, once you get all the hits, if they all commit to Ohio state, um, you know, and I think the Buckeyes are the leader for each, despite there being some unique challenges for Styles and Montgomery. Um, I, I think that once you get those kids in the class, it becomes much easier to have that, that core four or five kids that you can really build around. And so I don't know that's Padilla necessarily by himself, but what he could be a part of, especially on the offensive line with the three-man group of, of himself, Montgomery, and Saraveld, then you really start to, to branch out from there. For sure. And I want to talk about those three a little bit later, but Ohio State offered all four of them, as well as Brennan Vernon, the defensive end from Mentor, early this spring. But do you think that there was maybe a little bit of a difference there um, in, in the case of it being an in-state kid? You know, a lot of times Ohio State will offer an in-state kid, then he'll eventually commit. That's just how most people see it. But but Vernon kind of went in a different direction there. What do you think was was such a difference between how Padilla's recruitment went and how Vernon's did? It's ultimately just about personality. And I know that it sounds like an excuse to some folks, or maybe it sounds cliche, but like not everyone is to fit everywhere. And Brennan Burnett is a really good football player, a great kid, but he wanted a smaller environment. He wanted a, an atmosphere that was a little bit less hectic and chaotic than the campus of Ohio State, which is obviously one of the largest in the country. Um, and, and that's just not Brennan's style. And obviously, you know, he's a player that Ohio State offered very early, um, you know, big frame, six foot five, almost 260 pounds, a lot of upside, but not everyone has the same dreams, I guess. I mean, Brennan obviously liked Ohio State growing up, and, but as you start to build relationships in the recruiting world, um, those, those priorities change. And once you start picking up scholarship offers from places like Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, et cetera, like it, it doesn't matter who you grew up a fan of at that point you have to make the best decision for you and your personality and and the and the vibe that you want around you and Brennan is a very low-key dude like just wanted to be uh tucked away and that's why you know normally Andrew what's interesting is that you know we talk about players for example I'll use Xavier Wampa in the class of 2023 um if if Xavier Wampa ends up not committing to Iowa and not signing with Iowa next month I think that part of the reason he's had the that he's let his recruitment play out this long and I know he does have legitimate interest in Iowa so I'm using it as sort of just an example but when you're a player in a state with a big time like Iowa is and you don't want to go there you still have to pay deference to that program and to the university and the coaches that have recruited you almost inevitably longer than anyone else and so he didn't he can't commit early because then you still have to deal with all the pressure being home so it's easier to make that choice at the end of the cycle um when when there are you know good fits there it's not like but for brendan vernon and i'll also bring up blake miller in the class of 2022 the offensive lineman from strongsville ohio who committed to clemson uh, almost a year ago like those are just kids that personality wise just wanted something very different and it's not something where it's a, an insult to ohio state that they're going elsewhere the buckeyes recruited them they liked them they offered them early sometimes aren't the right fit. 
You had mentioned too one thing that I think is really interesting, and it's kind of just the difference in Urban Meyer's recruiting perspective versus versus Ryan Day's. And I think a lot of this has to do also with just the changing landscape of of the recruiting trail as well. Is that you really have to get in early on these kids and kind of let the situation go from there. And you know, if you really like them, they continue to develop. Then you'll accept their commitment. It's not one of those cases where Urban used to feast on this, but he would come in really late with an offer to a kid who was you know a borderline three-star, four-star kind of player and then flip them late. And I don't think that you can do that anymore. Well, the game's changing. I mean, you mentioned it not only just because of social media, because of name, image, and likeness, because of the free transfer rule, because of everything else. Like, their relationships now have to be built early. And, and this is the real kicker here, especially for a program like Ohio State. Cincinnati's a really good program. Kentucky's a really good program in the SEC. Michigan State is building. These are all the, those middle-of-the-road programs five, six, seven years ago when Urban Meyer was in his heyday at Ohio State that you didn't have to truly worry about on the recruiting trail because it didn't matter if a kid was committed to Cincinnati uh, in November, two, uh, six weeks before signing day. You could just call him and flip him without a question. But you can't do that now because Cincinnati is the top-five program in the country in the rankings, and it's a lot harder – for Ryan Day to call a kid and say, hey, I know you're committed to Luke Fickle, who we love, and Cincinnati, a program we respect, and a top-five program, but you should come to Ohio State instead. Because a lot of these kids, they've, they've seen Cincinnati on TV as much as they've seen Ohio State in the last decade. Like, TV's changed so much. Um, the, the, the 24-hour news cycle, social media has changed everything, and these relationships are just – they have to be built differently now. I do think one thing that Ryan Day said recently, and he, he's actually said it quite a bit, is that they're really recruiting the kids who want to be Buckeyes and who who grew up loving the Buckeyes. And, you know, I think it's very easy to dismiss that when when somebody says that. But if you notice these kids who Ohio State is accepting commitments from locally, you know, they're they're all in from the time that they get that offer. They, you know, there's a little bit more excitement in the tweets that they send about it. You can see them showing up to every single game and every single opportunity that they have to be on campus. They take advantage of that. I mean, are you are you seeing the same thing when it comes to that? Yeah, I mean, it's not a cliche. Just because something is true and often repeated doesn't mean it's cliche. You know, like it, it, you do want kids that want to be a part of your program. And everyone in the country will say that. And, and everyone means it because you are building a program and it has to be a program that lasts more than just a year. So these kids from Ohio, these kids that grew up with an affinity for the Buckeyes uh, who have really solid long-term relationships with Ryan Day, which is another difference between Day and Meyer, is that Ryan Day gets involved in these recruitments very early. And Urban Meyer was sort of, you know, the coffee is for closers type. Like, he didn't really get involved in the personal relationships until it was selling time. Especially in a place like Ohio State, where you have one of the top two or three most talented rosters in the country, you really have to recruit kids that are, like, committed to the program for the long term. That's, that's the bottom line. It can't be about you know, short-term relationships because short-term relationships generally will lead to a kid who leaves at the first sign of trouble or the first time he doesn't get a chance to be a regular in the lineup. And, and right now, and I don't even think it matters because what college football is going to become, in my opinion, even if you have great relationships, you're going to see program after program losing 10 to 15 kids a year to the transfer portal. And it's going to be a real difficult road to hoe for these coaches because the opportunity to play elsewhere and to be seen on TV elsewhere 
uh, because of the name, image, and likeness stuff is, is going to change the game in a way that I don't think people are going to really like in the next four or five years. The interesting aspect of that is the back end, you know, the, the lower level kids, the, the three-star kids, you know, those are really the ones that, that Ryan Day is talking about that he wants to be Buckeyes because you can manage to lose 10 or 15 players if you can turn around and bring 10 or 15 players in every single year through the transfer portal or, you know, fill out your roster that way. But you need those back end kids to to be those, you know, the last 50 of the of the 85, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to have players that want to build a program and everyone wants to be a superstar, Not, you know, especially at a place like Ohio State. Every kid who commits to Ohio State is doing so because he thinks he's good enough to play in the NFL. And the simple reality is even a program like Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia, you're talking more than half the roster every year, kids who are never going to play in the NFL. So you have to be really smart about who you're bringing in. And that starts with just recruiting families that you know are solid families and kids who are not in such a mindset where they're like, Hey, if I don't make it right now, I'll never make it anywhere. And that's, that's, that's really been the shift in recruiting at Ohio state in the last six, seven years, you know, that urban Meyer started. Um, But you know, it's a different world, man. It's, it's going to be very unique. And, you know, you mentioned it though, like, Ohio State's of the world, Alabama's of the world, those kids are going to realize, hey, maybe I'm not able to play here because there's also 25 great players in front of me. So I'll, I'll take the drop down and, and go play it anywhere else, whatever. But there's also the flip side of that, where there's kids who are playing at Middle Tennessee State. I mean, we watched uh, last Saturday as Ohio State played at Nebraska. Uh, that uh, receiver, that Torre kid from Nebraska who had a huge day against the Buckeyes, that's a kid who was playing at Montana a year ago. So this Kids get to college, they develop physically, they get bigger, stronger, faster. And you're going to see programs like Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia's of the world being able to sort of look at free agency almost. It's going to be a very weird, it's going to be a very weird transition to college football. Yeah, it, it honestly kind of feels like high school recruiting doesn't mean as much anymore as it used to, just because you obviously want to bring in kids and develop them, you know three or four years down the road, see something from that. But now you can go into the transfer portal, pull out a specific position of need, address it one year, get them for one or two years. And we've seen it plenty with Ohio State in recent years, you know, going back Jonah Jackson, Justin Fields, Trey Sermon, Noah Ruggles, you know, there's all these players that have come in and, and made an immediate and, and lasting and important impact. Um, and, and in turn, you're, you're essentially pushing somebody who has been on the roster, been waiting. I mean, you have Jake Seibert on the roster, Ohio kid. I mean, obviously wanted to, to be a Buckeye, probably dreamed of kicking for Ohio State. And they, they address that need somewhere else. So, you know, it's definitely going to be something interesting to watch. Yeah, I, I, there's no way around it. It really depends on what kind of program you want to be. Uh, and, and I'm a believer firmly that doing that too much is a is a fast way to erode culture because you you lose what Ohio State always talks about is you know the brotherhood and, and that sort of uh, bond that those kids have that that sort of bond is built over years of of struggling together and adversity together and if if your entire program is built on on hired guns and and renegades then all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to sell that chemistry and that 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 bond of brotherhood that has become sort of the staple of the Buckeyes recruiting pitch. It kind of reminds me a lot of college basketball with the one and done, you know, you can, you can sign five, five-star players, win a national championship. And then the next year, 
not even make the NIT because of it. So there's definitely that layer to it of, of having the developmental, the kids who want to be Buckeyes and stay there for a long time and develop while those instant impact players come in. Yeah, I mean, look at the quarterback position. There's 130 teams in Division One college football. Everyone needs a quarterback. And it's going to be harder and harder for teams to, to develop backup quarterbacks uh, over the next handful of years. So I kind of want to circle back to the 2023 class. And you had mentioned several of the players, you know, Sonny Styles, Luke Montgomery, and Austin Seierveld. What do you think about each of those individual recruitments? I mean, are they close to each making a decision, or is this something that Ohio State is going to have to work toward over the next year? I mean, uh, with Luke Montgomery, we'll start there. I mean, Luke's a kid who makes no bones about it. He grew up rooting and loving Ohio State. Uh, but, you know, he's trying to decide whether or not he really buys into being an offensive lineman. And I think his ultimate choice will come down to that, whether or not he is uh, comfortable enough with that move. If he wants to play offensive line, I think he'll be Ohio State. If he decides he wants to play defensive line and really only Notre Dame is selling him on that, um, then he'll end up in Notre Dame. I, I ultimately think he will err on the side of offense because I believe that that is where his best future is. And I think he has a lot of people around him telling him that. And I think that the fact that no other school is really recruiting him as a defensive lineman should help underscore that point. Um, but Luke told me last week that he's looking to make official visits in the spring and then he'll make a decision after that. Uh, some of that I think could be related to his brother, Ryan, a 2025 quarterback um, who's starting to emerge nationally as a recruit. And it, it does help get Ryan around the country a little bit if Luke takes more visits and sees things and uh, they're not a package deal but it, it does make it easier for the family to see multiple places and get uh, the younger brother some exposure as well um, you know Sonny Stiles has said for the last couple months that he's getting closer to a decision and that he'll commit when the time is right that's not obviously very hard and fast to a timeline but I think it does show that he's at least considering that you know his recruitment um, could come to an end anytime and, and that is Ohio State and the Clemson Florida Notre Dame are all in the in the, the top group there of course his father played at Ohio State his brother plays at Notre Dame that's where people really make the the most noise uh, especially because he's been able to visit both those schools so many times number one being so close to Columbus and living in Pickerington living 20 minutes away from camp number two because of his brother at Notre Dame he's been there three different times already this year um so, you know, I, I still think it's going to be Ohio State in that recruitment, but so does everyone who covers Ohio State. Everyone who covers Notre Dame thinks it'll be Notre Dame. So uh, it's hard to really get a real great feel on what he's thinking. But I do know that Sonny uh, isn't the you know type to make it about him or want the attention. So I truly believe that when he's comfortable with a decision, he'll make it. I don't think it's going to be a situation where he plays the recruiting game. Uh, very long. For Austin Saravel, the offensive lineman from Lakota East, is one of the better stories of the year. It's a kid who, you know, four weeks ago did not have a single scholarship offer, and and now he's got an offer from Ohio State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Michigan State, Kentucky, all, all in a in a very small stretch, uh, West Virginia as well. I don't see that kid ending up anywhere other than Ohio State, but I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a couple extra visits just so that he has something to compare things to doesn't want to just jump on the Ohio State offer right away without having something to stack it up against. He visited Notre Dame last weekend. They got the offer from the Irish. And, um, you know, I expect that he'll probably try to get a Michigan State game in. I, I think he'd probably be back at Ohio State next week. And if that recruitment got to 
Christmas without a commitment, I'd be surprised. How does a, a recruitment blow up like that? Because, you know, like you mentioned, four weeks ago, he didn't have a single offer. And then now he has every offer in the Midwest. Well, I mean, it starts by being six foot six, 315 pounds and being a really good athlete um, and getting film out there. And the COVID year put a lot of those kids in, in a weird spot. Sarah Bell wasn't able to make, you know, college camp tours uh, heading into a sophomore year. So you were a little bit delayed there. Part of it's playing at, you know, Lakota East. It's not one of the bigger programs in the state as far as name recognition. Um, in a lot of cases like that, I think some teams are just waiting to see who goes first. And when Ohio State is your second offer, uh, all of a sudden everyone else realizes, oh, crap, we better throw our hat into the ring if we want any chance at all. Uh, it's probably too late at that point, especially for an in-state kid. But you got to you gotta just follow the leader at that point. All three of them you had mentioned was it was seemingly an Ohio State Notre Dame battle. There's a, another recruitment that is is very similar to that with IMG Academy wide wide receiver Carnell Tate. You know, this summer he visited Notre Dame three times. He visited Ohio State twice, then visited both schools um, this fall. Do you think that that recruitment is going to be over anytime soon, or do you think he's really taking a step back from his October eighth decision date, and and this will drag out a bit longer? I mean, the reason he backed off that October 8th date was because he wanted to make visits around the country. I know he was going to go see Tennessee. Uh, I know that there's still some interest in like Ole Miss and, and other schools around the country. I do think it's an Ohio State-Notre Dame thing, and it, it really just comes down to relationships. Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, has done a great job, but obviously Brian Hartline doesn't miss a lot. Um, the Buckeyes are going to only take two probably receivers in that class, and I think that helps mitigate some of the concern about depth and, uh, you know, the, the, the issues that other schools are going to present to him, which is always, oh, why would you go to Ohio State? There's so many receivers there. But, you know, these kids want to be challenged. And they want to be developed. And the good thing is, and I, I say this with all sincerity, for, for the Midwest, it's important that Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Kentucky, Cincinnati, the Midwest needs big-time programs. And I'm glad that Notre Dame has, has turned around. You know, a few years ago, they were in sort of a swoon where you really weren't sure what direction the program was going to go. And uh, they righted that ship. And Brian Kelly softened up a little bit and, and uh, changed reputation to touch on the recruiting trail. And then you bring in a guy like Marcus Freeman, who people really connect with. And that's why you're seeing so many of those battles. I think the interesting thing here is it doesn't say as much about Notre Dame's um, turnaround as it does speak to, again, what I said earlier, the, the quality of people Ohio State is recruiting they're not really recruiting against anyone other than Clemson and Notre Dame these days. I mean, they're not really recruiting much against Alabama or Georgia for kids because they're not recruiting the same caliber of kid. They're really going after kids that have, have futures that are bright and, and um, you know, smart kids who don't really need football. And I know sometimes that's uh, a bit of a challenge because you might find yourself with kids that aren't always seeming as hungry on the football field, but Buckeyes want really, uh, high quality families and high quality young men. And I think that's the interesting thing about the constant battles between Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame, Clemson, et cetera. You know, to that point, I'm, I'm not really surprised that a lot of these kids are overlapping with Notre Dame. And it kind of reminds me a lot of, you know, Paris Johnson and Harry Miller as well. When they were going through their recruiting processes, they were listing Stanford as one of the top schools. And it's not often that a kid who has an offer from Stanford will choose academically to go to Ohio State. And I know that that's really something that, you know, Notre Dame fans have really touted over the last 
however many years is about how much better their academics are than Ohio State or whatever. But then now you, you're seeing those those kids, those same kids who are considering Notre Dame, considering Ohio State. And it really speaks to just the level of, of, of importance that Ohio State is placing on academics moving forward. Yeah, I mean, Luke Whippler and Nick petit Frere were the same way. But these are kids that are very bright. Uh, again, and that, that is the challenge because when you're dealing with and recruiting kids that don't need football but play it because they want to, sometimes maybe they're not going to be as desperate for success in it. And so that's where you – you know, these coaches make the big bucks to make sure that they get kids that are, are going to do the job and be, uh, you know, as hungry on Saturdays as, as anyone else. And uh, so far, so good for Ohio State. They found a good blend. Definitely. And so I want to just put you on the spot here with the, my last question. We've been talking a lot about the class of 2023. So I want to stick with that and just ask you, who do you think will be the next commitment for Ohio State's class of 2023? I mean, I guess I would probably lean towards Saraveld because I, I just don't know for sure um, on Sonny Styles as far as when he wants to make that decision. But he keeps repeating o over and over that, hey, I'm going to commit when I'm ready. So I guess I would say those two in the state of Ohio would be probably my, my, my prediction. I don't know that anyone from out of state um, is going to be ready to jump. I, I, I mentioned on Talking Stuff, the, our Ohio State Recruiting Podcast on Letterman Row, uh, on Wednesday that uh, I thought there was an outside chance that Peyton Kirkland, an offensive lineman from Florida coming up for the Michigan State game, um, could maybe jump at that point just because you might run out of time with, with you know, with Padilla committed and then the thought of Saravelle committing and then Luke Montgomery, and you just don't know how many offensive linemen they're going to take. So if Kirkland's really serious about Ohio State, which I believe he is, and I think that they're the team to beat there, that you might see him uh, try to just lock up a spot as well. But that's the only other real guy that I'm looking at nationally or out of, out of Ohio that I think could, could maybe um, make some sort of leap. Definitely. Well, I appreciate your time today, Berm. Anytime. Appreciate you having me on. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Building the Buckeyes. For Letterman Rose, Jeremy Birmingham, I'm Andrew Lynn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.